0: You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. This message started last night at dinner when I was asked a question that I couldn't answer, didn't, had, had never even really heard the story. But so I want, us, I want us to go to Exodus chapter 32. Y'all probably very familiar with this story. I, I just wasn't. Uh, but it, when I started looking at this chapter, the, at a few chapters here back to back, they just, they're just very, very important chapters to some of the things that we still quite often talk about. So we'll begin in uh, Exodus 32. And I may not read all of this. I may have to just skip. And uh, but. <laughs> let's be, yeah, let's begin reading in verse nineteen, Exodus thirty-two, verse nineteen. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh under the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, uh, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount, and he took the calf. Which they had made and burn it in the fire and ground it into powder and strew it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. That was the question that was asked of me and I thought, I don't remember that story. But it is interesting that there's a sermon right there that you could really stop and make some profound points because that which they had made an idol was turned to ash and they ended up drinking it so that's quite a that's quite a quite a picture of how this unfolded and again I was asked if this story happened I said I don't have any idea if uh if they had to drink that gold or not but when I looked it up last night sitting at the dinner table uh when I started reading this so let's go a little bit further verse 21 and Moses said unto Aaron what did this people uh, unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them and Aaron said let not the anger of my lord wax hot now he's talking my lord is not God He's, he's talking about Moses let not your anger wax hot thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief for they said unto me make us gods which shall go before us for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up into the land of Egypt, we we wot not what he has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? So we have this strange moment. Moses was up on the mountain, he was actually there with with Joshua, and he comes down, he hears this party going on, and this is what he sees, and this is how that unfolded. He was angry, this was his response to that. So it's interesting to me that we end up so immediately in... In, in the in the things that occur in chapter thirty three, because thirty three and thirty four are chapters that we quote very very often, they are some of the most unusual and dynamic moments within the scripture. We have uh, in the in the New Testament when you look at the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke we get such a good picture of the God we worship. It tells of these moments. It tells of these events. It tells of situations. But when we step into the book of John, it's more like we, we step into that inner court of the, of, the, of the tabernacle. That there's a place where there's worship, Matthew, Mark, and, and, and Luke. But you step into John and you step into a, a different level of, of scripture. I mean, this is there's some serious conversation, not trying to belittle the other three, but man, there's some serious conversation in John, especially 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus is having this last conversation and it's recorded so well because he's within hours now in John 14. In, those, in the subsequent chapters, he's within hours of the crucifixion. These are the last things he said. So they were deep. You get to John 17, you step into the Holy of Holies. This is when Jesus was praying. We get to see something so intimate. This isn't, about, this isn't a model prayer. It's, again, as amazing as that model prayer is, we're, we're getting to hear Jesus talk to his father one-on-one. We are, in that moment, in John 17, we are, we are entering into something in the New Testament that is profound. I heard somebody say there's not four Gospels, there's only one. There's different tellings of the same Gospel. There's only one Gospel. That, that registered with me. There's only one good news. There's different tellings of it. There's only one Gospel. But it's, but it's interesting to me Because when I look at the Old Testament, at what would be the holy of holy moments, I find it in these chapters for me. There are so many. There are so many things that David said. Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, again, there are so many profound things said in the Old Testament. But we find in this moment some intimacy that is hard to shake. So let's, let's begin with verse 12. I think that's where I want to begin. Uh, in chapter 33, Moses' prayer right here. And Moses said unto the Lord. Now, again, we're getting to listen in on a very intimate conversation. But I love the way that this is put because it's, it's casual as, 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 as someone say, well, Randy said to Elaine. No one would see that as being an unusual conversation. For this to be said here that Moses said unto the Lord, see, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou will send with me. So this is the question that Moses has. You've told me what I need to do. You've told me that you want me to bring the children of Israel out of out of Egypt, but you have left a question unanswered. And it's a it's an amazing question. Who who were who were who are, who are the resources who are going to be those people who stand with me? Who are those people going to help? Who are you going to take care of this? And who's going to take care of this? It's a very legitimate question that Moses would ask. You've told me to do it, but who are you going to send with me? Now, I address this because one of the things that we've watched, one of the things that we know, is that we very often do what just happened in Exodus 32, as we make things idols, we we can do this with money. We can put our trust, we can put our faith in gold, in money, in all those things. It's very normal, it's a very cultural thing for us to do. And in the long run, we could end up eating that money. So we... We're now hearing this question because we understand, especially in in the religious world, the number one thing that most churches want is resources. They're not eager. They're not aggressively seeking God. They need the resources because they've already got a plan. They already need that plan funded. They already need talent on the stage. They need they need the people who are going to play the instruments. They they need the resources. And so there's a, a big push, church by church, to secure the resources, because the resources are are what allow us to execute our plan. So this is Moses asking God, where are my resources? Big job. Big task, big responsibility, leading these people. I just have this question I'd like for you to to answer. Who are you going to send with me? And still in the middle of verse 12. "Yet, Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. I hope we can, for just a second, get in Moses' dilemma. Because it's our dilemma. This is one where the Christian world lives. Moses acknowledging, God, you know me. You address me by my name. And I wonder how many of us, not just say from our heads we know that. I wonder how many of us actually feel that. As I have, as I have shared with you all a little bit about this story that I've been involved in in the last two weeks where I had an opportunity to bring uh, a mom and dad, particularly a dad, a uh, and introduce him to a son that they gave up for adoption 47 years ago. Yeah, had an opportunity to be in that. I had a a new 23andMe relative pop up. And again, it puts him in order of how close a relative. So this guy shows up as number four on my list, which is pretty close. I got a note from him through 23andMe, said I was born in, and July 1972 in Lubbock, Texas, but I know nothing in my biological family. So I, I sent him a note back and said, I don't know anything, but I'll see what I can find out. One phone call, I pretty well knew the story. So I called him back in a day or two, and I said, I really need to know your intentions. You didn't say whether you wanted to meet anybody or you, wanted to, you just wanted to uh, know about her. Did you want to know? You want to meet and I mean he was immediate i want to I want to meet anybody that'll meet me. I want to know them I've, I've had this question for all my life, and uh so I want to know them so i i won't tell all the details of the story, but it's such a remarkable story. I got a call from the biological dad because what i didn't what i didn't know going into this is that this this man's mom and dad got married three or four years after they put this baby up for adoption. So his brothers were full brothers. Yeah, just added another interesting. So when the the information was passed to the biological dad because the mom and dad aren't living together, uh, when he found out, he called me. And I told him, I said, as soon as I can release this man's name to you, I will. I said, but I've, I've got to be concerned about his end a little bit as well. So it was, it was set up, and on a, on a Friday afternoon, I passed the information. But as soon as that dad heard that son's name and knew his phone number and address, he went as fast as he could to meet this son that he hadn't seen in 47 years. So just what triggered it all? Why would, why would the dad go so fast? What, did, what, what was he waiting on? He wanted, he was waiting on the name. Because when he had the name, it meant everything. So when Moses is saying, he knows my name. He calls me by my name we would take that casually. But for a father who's been wondering for 47 years the name of this child that he gave, that that he was a part of, he was so anxious for the name and so ready when he got it because he was so determined to bring healing in this story. So it's just, it, again, fascinating story and I, I've been so blessed to be in the middle of it and uh, so... Blessed, so grateful that God allowed me to be a part of it. But it let me see how powerful a name was. And I told him, I said, as soon as you have an opportunity to meet that, your closest family, I said, Jan and I will be there as soon as we can get there because it's just fascinating to me to realize I've had these relatives that you didn't know you had. And uh, But for Moses to say, God knows my name. He calls me by my name. And he said, also, you've told me that I found grace in your sight. So he's saying, you you call me by my name. You've told me that I found grace, but I'm still missing the resource. I still don't know who you're going to send with me. And I think it's still such a wonderful question. And I wish we would figure it out as well today. Verse 13, now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. What's the, when you, when you look at verse 13, what short phrase catches your attention? that I may know you. That's, we're we're getting the purest of a man's heart right here. He's saying, remember who this is now. Remember who we're talking about. He has already seen the Red Sea parted. He has already been led by the cloud. He has already seen the miracles of, you know, of all this time. He's already seen all those strange things. He's already seen water come out of a rock. And what does he want now more than anything else? I want to know you. I've seen your miracles. I've seen the majesty. I have seen... All of this stuff. But now for this to really, for, for this boldness of this heart, he's saying, but I, I, I'm glad you call me by my name. And I'm glad that I've received this, this grace that you say that I have. But I want to know you. Verse 14. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So what was Moses' question? Who will you send with me? And he answered it. It'll be me. It'll be me. I just, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just some of this. When, when we get these two words together, he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. So what is the rest we get to enter into, even now? What what allows me to lean back? We talked about this last week. What allows me to lean back? I'm sitting here, but what allows me to lean back? It's this. What, What would give Moses the maximum rest that Moses could lean back into for rest who would it be It'd be the father the presence of god so you want to know how to, you know again i don't ha- i can teach you from the old testament that he was already telling us back here of the coming day of the holy spirit because my rest today isn't simply in the fact that jesus came to die for me and to do in me what he did to clean this vessel but i get to rest today because God, the Holy Spirit, is what I get to is, is the person I get to lean into, and like we said last week, I just love the imagery of this. That because you are trusting the chair that you're sitting in. Again, because if if you just put your faith in it, it would look like this. And again, the belief is it will hold me. Faith says I'll do this. That's the moment when the weight of my body rests on the chair. But most of our Christian lives look like this. Because we've been trained in the Christian life for it to be about an event, and an event, and a situation, and a prayer answered, and a word from God, and there's no connecting fiber. There's no connecting relationship. What's keeping you in the chair? It's not it's not your belief that it'll hold you. It's not your faith that you've rested in it. What's keeping you in the chair? What happened when you put your faith in it for one second? What kept you there for the second second? Trust. Right? trust. It's trust. Trust is keeping you in the chair right now. Faith put you there. Trust is keeping you there because it did it one second. It's done it in another second. It's done it for a minute. It's done it for two minutes. It's done it for ten minutes. Trust keeps you there. And the beauty of it is that as long as you trust the chair, your body will put on display because your body right now is conforming to the chair. Your body looks like that which you trust. So if you actually trust God, what will your body look like? We talked about it last week. If God is love, if I rename this love, then your body would be putting love on display. And I I shared, you know, if if I'm sitting here and Jan comes and sits in my lap, her back here, her legs here hanging down, then, then it's coming through me, but she's still putting on the reflection of the chair. And we talked about this Again, just like right now, the chair is allowing you to do something supernatural. Your trust is allowing you to do something supernatural. Again, remove the chair. What's your ability to stay in that position? Can't do it. Totally impossible. You're doing something totally impossible because you put faith in something else, trust in something else. We put our trust in him. We get to do something totally supernatural. And Moses back here saying he's asking that question. I'm fixed. there's there's something really big in front of me. There is. I'm about to do something hard. I'm about to lead these people. It's a fair question. What are my resources? Where's the mo- how much money have I got? You know how many people are going to be in leadership with me? Does, is, are, have they been trained? Does everybody know their responsibility? The things that we would practically ask, the things that we do ask today, because like where the resources are going to come from, how, how am I going to be ready to be able to do what you asked me to do? And what's God's answer? My presence will be with you. He gave us the Holy Spirit. It's just such a good picture, this Old Testament picture of, of our answer today It's not the resources we have, it's the Spirit. This is one of those reasons why I'm not anti-education. I think it's a wonderful thing. But it becomes the the resource substitute for the Holy Spirit. It's just just another resource. Let's keep going. Verse 15, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. He said, If you're not going to go with me, then I don't want to go. Verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? Man, listen to those words. Let them sink in. He's saying, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? The way this corresponds to today is why is there no awe in the world regarding God? If, if we were trying to uncover that, why does the world have no regard for God? Well, when I look at this question, Moses is saying, how will they know that we are your people? How will we stand out? How will we be recognized as being an unusual people in the dynamic that we need to be if you're not with us? So if we reverse engineer that, he's like... What is he saying? The only way that we're going to have any acknowledgement of who we are as a people is that that the glory of God is on us. Why doesn't the world respect and have this honor and this awe of God? Look at us. We are that image of God. We are that reflection of God. And we believe in a God that is so small, you, you know, let's just take a quick trip just for a second. Let's go over to Isaiah 40. See if there's any particular place where I want to. Let's, let's... We know the beginning of this a little more than what's later. Let's go to verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the, ho- in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountain- mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the paths of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. What is the enormity of the God that you and I worship. Is this him? Do we trust that in, in our world today that the nations are as a drop of a bucket? Because we sure are concerned about things that God considers so small. Because we have made our God very small and there's no wonder why the world has no awe or wonder in him because the people who say they profess to love him and trust him have reduced him to a, to a God of almost no effect I wish I could share something I may I may when this, I'll turn this off in a minute uh, remind me remind me to share something when we get off the air uh, I think I told y'all years ago that I was uh, sitting in a someone was cutting my hair and because uh, the lady that normally cut it was sick or something so somebody else was cutting it and I was in actually in a uh, place where they cut it this lady was cutting away and I was just talking to her about God and sharing just a few things with her and, and I didn't notice that the lady in the next Booth over here had stopped. She was cleaning up or something. She'd, I didn't realize she had sat down. And when, when I got through, she stood up and she said, I can't tell you how amazing it's been to hear about, a, about, a, about God who is still big. God who still is God. She said, I can't tell you how badly I needed to hear that. Because we've put such a small God on display. Isaiah forty says, he picks up islands like they were dust. See, we don't we don't register that God very often, and we grow extremely concerned. Well, let's keep let's keep going. It's just again this this just gets better and better to me. Uh, Verse 17, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. I could not think of a more powerful thing than God could say to me. This God who can pick up these islands, this God who holds nations as a drop of water in a bucket, speaks my name. And has shown me grace. But Moses wasn't quite content there. So let's turn the page to chapter 34. This is where we, it becomes much more familiar. Let's begin just with verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which you broke. Moses, we're going to do this one more time. But don't throw these down. Because I'm, I'm fingers getting tired. Don't want to write these anymore. Second verse. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Now let's think about this for just a second. Now, I don't know how many days has transpired here since he came down from the mountain, found them around this golden calf found them naked, found them in their shame, put the, put the gold calf in the fire till it turned to dust, took the gold dust, spread it on the water, and made them drink the water. Now, what was it, you know, the last time he went up on that mountain, he came down, found all the trouble. Now, now he's going up this second time. Going up this second time. What's he taking him up there to do? Flip back to 33. Verse 18, and he said, I beseech you, show me your glory. If we were to have an outbreak of glory in every church in the country this coming Sunday, if the glory of God was sought and seen in every congregation, we would see a nation be changed like it was a drop of water. I cannot imagine not being transformed by seeing his glory. Now, remember what we're asking here. Moses says, I want to see your glory. Now, we talked about this the other day about Peter. On his resume, for me, it would have been walking on the water, first thing I would have listed. Yeah. So what would, it, what would it be on the top of Moses' list? Oh, yeah, part of the Red Sea. You know, did, did that. I was there. You know that rock? I'm the one who struck it. You know, I've seen, some, I've seen some pretty good stuff. I think if I'd have seen those things, I might not have had the boldness of Moses now to say, but I want to see your glory. Because I would have had a tendency to say, I've already seen your glory. But what Moses is recognizing is what we have to recognize as well. We watch the things that God does, and, and it very often appeases us instead, instead of pressing on further and say, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. You have given us everything, as Jay taught a few weeks ago. I, you've given us everything. All the fullness has already been given to us so that now the, re, the rest of the relationship isn't me asking, God, would you give me this? Would you give me this? Would you do this for me? It's not a shopping list of the things we need God to do so because he's already provided those things for us so that now it can be about the relationship between me and him. And Moses is saying, God, I, I want to see your glory. What a boldness. What a boldness in that moment. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou can't see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place place by me that thou shalt stand upon a rock. It shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. I will show you my goodness, so that you'll recognize my glory. And again, what a powerful moment. What a request, and what an answer. Now let's go back to, let's go back to 34, verse 2. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the the morning unto the Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me on the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Therefore let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, and went up unto the mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, listen to this, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression in sin, and that will be, By no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and the fourth generations. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, O pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. I think it's fascinating that in that moment, when you know we see in verse thirty-three, God says, "This is what I'll do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you." But in thirty-four, we get to read when it happened, and when it happened, it's when the, the, the Lord the uh, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. So this is this is the Lord saying about Himself, the Lord, the Lord God. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Man, what a moment. And what happens when we trust this God? We conform to that image. Because we rested and trusted in him. So again, it's no great surprise that when we see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, mercy, all this list, because the Spirit now in us produces that goodness so that all the world can see what Moses got a glimpse of stuck in the cleft of this rock. I want us to go just a, a little bit further. Uh, let me think here where I want to go. Verse 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation were returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. You see, there's a different encounter coming down off the mountain this time than what he found last time. For us to really see this, I want us to go to Second Corinthians, and we will we'll end there. I love this picture as it says, as God spoke, that Moses bowed down. This is not necessarily an indictment on any group of people, us or anybody else. But it is a little bit indicative of the fact that we can leave here Sunday mornings and we leave casually. It probably tells us we didn't see his glory. Because what do you think the moment would be like leaving here? Want to leave. We wouldn't want to leave, and we would have gone not the way we often leave. I mean, it's like we, you know, it was, we will recognize the goodness of the moment. But Moses couldn't do anything when the glory of God passed by other than ba- bow himself bend himself you know our, our prayer life is is acknowledging very often unfortunately is is built around putting our needs before god praise is recognizing god's blessing worship is recognizing my position in him i put my petitions before him i acknowledge the blessings but worship worship is different worship is when i enter in to a, where i can i can talk to him about my needs i can talk to him and thank him for the blessings when i worship i enter into him it's different when moses saw the glory says his face his head went to the ground because i can't even imagine any other position to hold when we see that glory that song i can only imagine can I, will i be able to dance will i be able to do anything at all in that moment when we re, when we really behold him second corinthians y'all are there i'm not second corinthians 3 I don't know how people get around this, these verses. I don't know how the spirit of God gets so minimized. Let me see if I can find a good place to start. Verse 15, because this is really connects with what we just heard. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that was verse 15. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. He's saying, when you, read, when you, when you still read back there, there's still a veil over the, over the Jews and they're reading of it because they're not understanding. But it says now, verse 17, he's referring to, to the now then and the now 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 the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord now for us today seeing the glory In a glass, we would see it fairly transparently. We would get a good look at the glory of God. We, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, again, I don't mean... And, and, the, and the Father knows my heart, and Jesus knows my heart, I'm not saying anything derogatory or minimizing the story of Jesus Christ in this book. Because I don't think bringing the Spirit of God up to the proper place of understanding is causing any concern because that Spirit is the same as Jesus and the Father. I can't raise him up and drive them down because they are one. But I can actually drag them down if I force the spirit down and minimize the role of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you minimize the Holy Spirit and read this, and read these phrases. Read these verses. Let me read them again. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall, when it shall turn to the Lord, it, their heart, when, when their heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Again, speaking of Israel. Now the the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then we can just jump right into verse chapter 4 it says therefore seeing we have this ministry seeing that we have this transforming from glory to glory as we have received mercy we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and we don't walk anymore according to those things that are unbecoming He's laying a lot of he's laying a lot down right here We go to Acts chapter 7. We don't have to turn there, but it's the stoning of Stephen. He says, the glory of the Lord was shown unto Abraham. Now Abraham was living in Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees, which was a place of extreme idolatry, probably couldn't have found in the day and time a more evil place. And the glory of the Lord, according to Stephen, as before he stoned to death that the glory appeared unto that man, Abraham, in the middle of the most ungodly place. I think if we ask him, I think he'll show up in sundown, Texas. Because he says... As plainly as we can get it now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Father, thank you for just bringing this. Thanking you for the clarity. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth revealed. I pray, Father, that it would find a place in our story. Find a place in our hearts. And it won't just be truth received, but it will be life's transformed. We can see here, Father, your glory. You know us by name. And your grace is upon us. Thanks Thank you, for Father. for listening to this message. In, In Jesus' for more resources, name. Visit sundownchurch.com.